0: As we um, sit here, Jimmy's already mentioned the fact that it is the start of the new year for the Christian church. It's the start and it's also the the end as we think about the two bookends of Jesus coming first as a baby and last as a a mighty um, warrior and judge. So the period of Advent is really... The story of that time and we're going to celebrate the first coming of Jesus at Christmas time. I want to ask you how many times you've actually paid attention to celebrating the second coming of Jesus or thinking about the second coming of Jesus. And as we, as we do that for the next um, three Sundays, we're going to be looking at the book of, um, one Thess- of two Thessalonians. Uh, from the the Bible, because this has got a lot to to say about those particular things. And uh, Paul visited this place in Thessalonica, and I just wanted to show you some pickies. So it's a beautiful part of the world. You can see the Aegean Sea there, Um, Athens and Corinth. Well, Thessalonica is just a little bit kind of up the road there. Uh, Paul went across from Asia Minor to Macedonia, that northern part of Greece in one of his missionary journeys. You can read about it in Acts chapter 17 if you want to know uh, what happened to Paul while he was there. Uh, but the, the, the city is still there today. It's on the Aegean Sea. You can see the beautiful um, waters there and there's a typical kind of Mediterranean-style uh, town. If you're a Greek, you call it Thessaloniki, um, which is still pretty close to what we would know, uh, th- there's the old and the new, that's a 4th that's a, a, a century Roman triumphal arch. So the city is kind of built on top and around of its, its historical buildings. And um, if you go back even further, that is the Greek part of the city, it's been excavated, that's the 3rd uh, or 4th century BC marketplace. Uh, that's most likely where Paul would have, have, uh, have gone and that was certainly where the, uh, the leaders of the city gathered. So that's uh, Thessalonica. What happened when Paul went there? Well, he didn't get a very friendly reception. In fact, he had to run out of town for fear of his life. He preached the gospel, some people were converted, a small group of, of um, new believers gathered, um, one guy named Jason, we can read in Acts 17, he invited Jesus home and when the uh, the leaders of the city heard that or they, this mob went to Jason's house to find Paul. They couldn't find Paul so they dragged Jason out into the marketplace and accused him of, um, of heresy and, and of being unfaithful to to Caesar because this Paul was talking about some other God, other than Caesar. So when Paul left, the church would have been in a little bit of disarray, so there's no wonder he wrote letters to them and uh, there are two letters that we have in the Bible and as we read those letters, we see there are two concerns. The first concern is, how's the church going in the midst of persecution and difficulties? Is the church still there is it being bolstered by the truth of the gospel or or are people kind of um, being discouraged and then secondly he wrote to help the new believers understand what was happening with the coming of jesus christ with the return of the king because there were some who, who were even in the church in thessalonica who were saying that jesus had already returned and they were claiming some kind of spiritual elitism that they were in on um, that Jesus had uh, given to them. So that gives us a good uh, opportunity, doesn't it, to look at what this le- letter has to say about uh, the second coming of Jesus. Now I want to give you a little test. and um, Not many passed it this morning. Who who knows what you say in traditional Christian circles, if you're a good kind of moldy Anglican? uh, What do you say at Advent? (laughs) Yep, I'll give you that. (laughs) What else do you say? Or what do you pray? You say, come Lord Jesus. Have you heard that phrase? Come Lord Jesus. Um, A lot of traditional Anglican services at Advent start with that call because that just gives us the focus. And if you haven't heard that phrase, when was the last time that you actually prayed for the Lord Jesus' return? Have you ever prayed, come Lord Jesus? Well, I'm more likely to pray, not yet Lord Jesus. Give me a bit of time, please, I've, I've just done some Christmas shopping. And, you know, I've got plans for next year. You might have, uh, you know, a new project at work that you're looking forward to. You might, you might be finished your studies and be looking forward to a, a job. Uh, you might be having travel plans or holidays or whatever. And in our co- context, we're, we're really likely, more likely to pray, well, we know Jesus is coming, but don't come just yet. I mean, you mightn't verbalise that, I don't, I don't think I'll ever verbalize that in a prayer, but it's easy to actually have that in the back of our mind, isn't it? And even when we see, as, um, as Jesus said in the Gospels, when you see the wars and the rumors of wars and um, all the things that are happening in every country almost in our world where there's unrest and, and uh, people are, are being uh, you know, battered by police and all sorts of things are happening that seem terrible, Jesus says... Those are the signs of the last days. But I think here in Balgala, it's, kind of a, it's just a theoretical discussion, isn't it? About whether Jesus will come. Because we live in such an affluent area and we are so unaffected by all of these things that we just think it's life as usual. The Christians in the church in Thessalonica I'm sure, prayed regularly, come Lord Jesus, come. Because they were talking about the return of Jesus. It was on their mind. In the first letter, Paul writes this, in 1 Thessalonians 4:16, he says, explaining to them what will happen, he says, the Lord himself will come from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Encourage each other by this vision of the return of Jesus. Our lives are lived in the presence of God. But if we forget the context of where we are in in God's salvation plan, we will not actually uh, do the things that he's called us to do. If we we don't have the right context and the right focus, we'll fail to understand God's priorities and what Jesus is calling us to do. And we can learn from these early Christians who had this expectation of Jesus coming again. We can learn from them. And Paul writes to them... uh, in a way to, to bolster them and encourage them in the face of their, their persecution and then to encourage them to, to know the, the right details about the coming of Christ so that they can also be working towards that. So he says to them in, in um, verse 3 of chapter 1, we ought always to thank God for you brothers and sisters and rightly so because your faith is growing more and more and your love for and the love of, that you have for everyone is, gro- is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. See, it costs something to be a Christian in that city of Thessalonica. There, was, there were difficulties and hardships, there was persecution. And Paul says, in the midst of that, your faith has grown. Now, most of us are tempted to think that that faith is a kind of static thing. We look at other people and we say, gee, I wish I had her faith or his faith. One of my family members uh, describes me as an anomaly in the family because he says, I was born with faith as if it's some excuse why he has none. But faith is not genetically inherited. And faith is not a commodity that you can see or, or something that, that you can you know, grab a hold of as, as an object. Faith is something which, which grows. It's much more organic. So the, the, the kind of picture that Paul gives is of a plant growing. So faith is like a pot plant. Now if you've got a pot plant... in in the weather that we've been having lately, you actually have to look after it and water it and maybe give it some fertiliser for it to grow because conditions are pretty hard at the moment. If you don't do anything, the pot plant's likely going to shrivel up. And that's the picture that Paul gives of faith. So Christian faith is like a pot plant. We can do things that will water and build up and grow the, uh, the plant of faith in our life. It won't just happen. So when Paul says, we thank God because your faith is growing, that means that they are drawing near to Jesus. That's how your faith grows. So in the persecution, they're not turning away and denying Jesus. They're actually turning to Jesus and moving closer to him. And as they do that through scripture, through prayer, through encouraging each other in their in their Christian experience, even in, in the midst of persecutions, Their faith is growing and their love for each other is growing because they have this shared faith and this shared experience and they are persevering in the the face of suffering and Paul says that he uses them as an encouragement to the other Christian churches. So if your faith isn't growing what do you need to do to get back on track? Take a little, you know, just check in your mind. Where do you think you are in terms of your level of faith? In the Western church, I think it's a sad reality that we are often not very far along the way in faith because we can live without it. You can actually live the Christian life without faith. You can just turn up to church because it's Sunday. You can, uh, you know, make your plans, you can choose what you're going to do with your life, your career, your studies. If you have a bit of a hiccup or a hardship, well you just try and reorganise things so that you can get your life back on track. You don't panic too much because you know that, you know, eventually everything is going to work out. And what, what place does God have in all of this the last three weeks we've heard of Christians in very different places haven't we through our focus on justice and the persecuted church we can live without faith in the west but there are places uh, in the world where if you have no faith you cannot actually pretend to be a Christian you can't kind of make it so where is your level of faith What plans are you putting into place to actually grow your faith? The Apostle Paul says, and um, we boast in the persecutions and the trials that you are enduring. What? What a crazy thing to say to someone who's suffering. We boast about the fact that, that you are suffering. Well, he's saying we boast about the fact that in your suffering you are actually standing firm, you are enduring. So Paul is not a, a crazy masochist but he knows that in their suffering they've turned to Jesus and their faith is growing. And the same is true for us today. The church that perseveres in difficulties Is the church that relies on Jesus Christ not trying to just solve the difficulties ourselves or living with them but actually uh, handing them over to Jesus and relying on him we can't really live this life without a growing faith in Jesus Christ now what's this got to do with the return of Christ Well Paul says in verse 5 all of this is evidence that Christ's judgment is right and as a result you'll be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble for those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. And this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. So Paul says, don't ever forget God is just. God will always bring about justice, but it might not happen in in, um, the way that we expect or it might not even happen in your time that you might see it. When will it happen? God will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and this will happen when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with powerful angels. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I can't imagine uh, how it would be to see Jesus like flaming fire and, um, and he's got his powerful angels with him as if the ones who aren't quite so powerful are kind of at the back. Jesus, the picture here, is of the, the majesty of the glory of Jesus Christ. And he will come. So how crazy for the, some of these people in Thessalonica to say, oh, well, Jesus has really returned. It happened over here, uh, you know, just for us. No, when Jesus returns, it's, everyone's going to see this blazing fire of a, of an, of a person who comes with his, his powerful angels to bring an end to all things. That's where we're going. And as we, as we see that, we have, there's a couple of questions that come to our mind. When will God judge these, uh, these wrongs? When will God judge these people? And again, let me remind you that God's justice uh, will be seen when the Lord Jesus returns. So we need to keep persevering, don't we? God will judge the world when Jesus returns in total authority and power. Who will will God judge? God will judge those, Paul says, who don't know him and who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Uh, Some people think that that sounds unfair. God will judge those who don't know him. (coughs) He means don't have a relationship with him. God does not judge people on what they don't know. He judges people on how they've responded to Jesus. So those who have refused to know Jesus, refused to have a relationship with him, and um, those who disobey him, those who have heard the message of Jesus and have rejected God's grace and who who, who don't live according to his purposes. And Paul goes on to say, he will punish those who don't know God and, and don't obey him with uh, a terrible punishment. So what is that punishment? In verse 9, they'll be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out of the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. This is serious stuff. This is frightening stuff. That God is going to punish people with everlasting destruction. They'll be shut out from the presence of the Lord. And from the glory of his mind. That's what's going to happen to people who are opposed to God. That's going to happen to people who, who mock uh, Christians or who mock the presence of God or the the faith that, that we have in him. This is what's going to happen to people who know the right thing to do and don't do it. This is a frightening thing. Punished with everlasting destruction. So Paul says, this is, this, is how it, this is the pattern here. God allows suffering because through it, he can achieve his purposes as we uh, stick with him. Because suffering draws us closer to Jesus. In the midst of our trouble, we cling on to him. And that means that our faith will grow. That is how we actually uh, water and foster our Christian faith. And that will actually bring an outpouring of love within the church of God as brothers and sisters stand together in suffering knowing that God is just. And God won't let sin and suffering have the last word. Even if someone is martyred for their faith, that is not the last word because Jesus will come again and bring about justice. And judgment. So we could leave it there but there's one important theme that runs through this passage that I haven't mentioned and it's the theme that helps to resolve uh, some of the, the truths that are written here that are hard for us to, to see and that is that judgment isn't just about um, judicial process it's about the glory of God. Okay, it's not just about being fair and just, it's about God showing his nature and his character. And um, in verse 10, the, the uh, Apostle Paul wrote, On that day when he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among the, all those who have believed. So on that day of judgment, Jesus comes to be glorified. Jesus comes in glory for all to see and to be marveled at. Paul finishes with a, with a prayer. He prays that as a result of this, their Christian lives will continue to grow and to go forward. In verse 11 he says, With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God will make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he will bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith your every desire for goodness and your every deed that is prompted by faith Paul prays that that will actually uh, that they will come about through the power of God that, that uh, in this context as we grow in our, in our relationship with God that we will con- constantly uh, see an impact in the world and then he finishes the prayer with verse 12. We pray this, so the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, uh, as I said, all of this, living in the uh, living the Christian life, growing in our relationship with him, looking forward to the, t- the day when Jesus will return, recognising the awesome nature of, of uh, Jesus' uh, judgment and the the, uh, pronouncement of justice upon those who who reject him and all of this he says um, is to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ that the Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him did you notice that Jesus is going to be glorified in us The whole world is going to see God's glory as Jesus comes in his majesty. But his glory is not just a physical presence that we can see. It is actually a spiritual presence that we will know. And in some way, um, you know, the Apostle Paul writes in different letters, he writes to the Corinthians that our, our bodies will be transformed into his glorious body. And we, again, we, it's hard to have categories to understand some of this imagery. But that is the, the truth of the coming of the Lord Jesus. Yes, there will be judgment. But more, more than that, there will be glory. A shared glory. The glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. For all to see and that glory shining through our lives for all to see as our purpose and uh, our future is to bring glory to him. So we pray, come Lord Jesus, come. We do this not just because we know that Jesus is coming back, but because we want to see his glory. Advent, Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen. We're now going to take part in a meal that helps